The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Let's begin our time in prayer. Father, thank you so much for calling us to gather in your presence for the joy of expressing your worth um, in our lives and uh, our hope that we have because of Jesus. Open our eyes to your word. Lord, help us to, to rightly see you and to um, gain a comfort from your word. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, go ahead and open your Bibles to John 14. I'm going to focus on Philip's question or question of the Lord, where Philip says to Jesus, show us the Father, and it is enough. And it just struck me, what is enough? What is he really after here? And so that, that's what I want us to consider, but let's get the whole context of um, where that statement is made, and we'll go ahead and just begin at verse 1, read verse 1 through 11. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, We don't know the way where you're going. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. And it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. This is God's word. Have you ever looked around at your life and assumed that nothing's ever going to get better? That the hard things will just get harder and the good things might disappear. That there's no point in hoping anymore because it will only lead to disappointment. I have, writes Vanitha Reisner. She writes, when my husband left our family nine years ago, my adolescent daughters and I were reeling. We never imagined we'd be a splintered family. All we knew were unbroken families, and suddenly we weren't in that group anymore. 
We struggle to find our own identity together and establish our new normal. I didn't like the way my life story was unfolding, and I mourned what I had lost. In my mind, intact families had kids who were drawn to God. They laughed together and talked around the dinner table. They whispered heartfelt prayers at night and respected their parents' authority. Our family didn't do those things anymore. At one point, both of my daughters wanted nothing to do with with my God. God had let them down. They didn't want to trust him again. And yet, last fall, my oldest daughter, Katie, left for a year to serve the Lord in Africa. Eight years ago, serving Jesus would have been unthinkable to her. Eight years ago, God wasn't real to her anymore. Eight years ago, she almost walked away from the faith. On the Sunday that her church commissioned her, the sermon was on Joseph. The pastor said, don't be so focused on what God has taken from you that you can't see or believe that God will do something through you. Those words hit me hard. He went on to quote from Paul Miller's powerful book, A Praying Life. When confronted with suffering, that suffering that won't go away or with even a minor problem, we instinctively focus on what is missing, not on the master's hand. Often, when you think everything has gone wrong, it's just that you're in the middle of a story. Often, when you think everything has gone wrong, it's just that you're in the middle of a story. Philip was in the middle of his story. And he wanted to see. Jesus, just show us the Father, and that will be enough. Seeing, seeing brings comfort. Seeing gives us assurance and peace and hope, doesn't it? And we don't like times of change, where what we thought was our life is no longer our life, where we can't see. We don't know what this life is going to look like. And Jesus understands that his disciples, they're approaching a very big change in what they thought they knew, what they assumed that their lives would look like. And in the midst of uncertainty, we are desperate to see God. Like Philip, we may think, Oh, it would be enough for me. I'd be okay. I'd, I'd have some hope if only I could see God. Lord, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. But what does it mean for us to see God? Have you ever wished to be one of those Old Testament saints And you think, wow, we're God's presence. It's really, really, really obvious. In a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud by the day. I mean, it it really served the Israelites really well. They just were faithful all along, weren't they? Sarcasm. Um, Have you ever wondered at what Moses actually saw when he pleaded with God, God, show me your glory. And God caused his, his goodness 
to pass in front of him in the cleft of the rock? What did that, what was that experience like? What did that look like? And we, I think sometimes we read those stories and we think, wow, that would be something. I wish I could see God. Philip, his request, he was thinking along these lines. He was asking for something like this, a theophany, a theophany, a visible manifestation of God. Jesus, show us a theophany, show us a visible manifestation of God, and then we'll be okay. Jesus, give us an experience of God, something to see, and that will be enough for us. And like most people, we think, we think seeing is believing, God, if you just show me something, give me, a, give me a sign. We think of unbelievers. If God would just reveal himself to us, then I would, no. God, give us a sign. Give us an experience. We want an experience, something really obvious, a manifestation of yourself. Then I'll believe. Then I'll be comforted as one of your followers. Philip is saying, Lord, we would know God if we could just see him. And Jesus' response is basically, really? You think seeing will help you to know? I've been with you for three years. You've seen me, you've seen my ministry, and yet you don't seem to know me very well. So why do you think seeing would help you know God. What Jesus is getting at is the kind of scene, the kind of scene Philip had in mind, and that this will not lead to a a true knowledge of really anyone. There's a limitation to the kind of scene Philip envisioned. And so Jesus, he he talks about a right kind of scene. This is the teaching of Jesus, a right kind of scene, a scene that's, that's centered on him. Jesus says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? The scene that Jesus has in mind, it's a, it's a perceiving and understanding, meaning that they know God because they know Jesus. There are different ways in which we see, and the word Jesus uses, the word John places in this this dialogue, this Greek word, it has to do with perceiving. It has to do with understanding. And John chapter 20, it gives us a great example of three different Greek words that are each translated as seen in our English Bibles, or saw. It's the account, John 20, it's the account of when Peter and John, they're running to the, the tomb to um, find out what's going on. And John, of course, outruns Peter, and he gets there first, and we read, stooping to look in, John saw. He saw the linen cloths lying there. And this word for saw in the Greek simply means physical Seeing the image of the grave clothes were physically seen with his physical eyes. But then 
We read Peter comes huffing and puffing along from behind and he pushes his way past John and and we read that he went into the tomb and Peter saw in a different way the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head not lying with the linen cloths but folded up in a place by itself. So we get some description here of what he saw and this word for saw is where we get our word theory. And its meaning is to, to puzzle over, to scrutinize. So Peter is, he's thinking about, he's, he's considering, what is this that I'm looking at? Peter puzzles over the fact that the grave clothes were there, but the body was gone. If the body was taken, why weren't the grave clothes taken as well? Or why was everything in place as if the body went through the wrappings and the spices are in place and the head coverings where it's set aside? All these things are in place instead of scattered around the room. Peter saw, that is, he, he scrutinized, he's thinking about the implications of what he's looking at. And then John tells us that he, John, also went in and he, yet in another way, saw and believed. And this third word for seeing means to see with understanding. And this is why John says that he saw and believed. He understood He saw the only thing that made sense of the arrangement of the grave clothes, which is Jesus must have resurrected. He understood. This word for seeing is the same word that Jesus uses in John 14, where he says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Whoever has perceived and understands and believes in me That person understands. That person truly knows God. Philip asks to be shown the Father asking for a a demonstration. And Jesus' reply is basically saying that what's needed is not a demonstration. He's already demonstrated himself for three years now. But what's really needed is an apprehension. A right kind of seeing. And this is, the, this, this is important for us when you think about here we are, we're in the 21st century. This is an important truth for you to, to recognize because if it were important for us to physically see, to see some demonstration, some experience, then not only do we not see God, we can't even see Jesus, which Philip and the others had the privilege of seeing. Jesus is not physically present with us here in our time for us to observe. But if we perceive, but perceiving is a, if perceiving is a true seeing, the seeing that Jesus is talking about here, then we are not deprived. We are not deprived at all because we can perceive Jesus through the Spirit and the Word. And in perceiving Jesus, we can truly see. 
The kind of scene Jesus is talking about. We can truly see, we can truly know God. So we are not at a disadvantage. In reality, it's no different for us than it was for the people in Jesus' day. Because what we're really all after is to truly know. To see God through his revelation of Jesus. And we have the revelation of Jesus Christ in God's word. This is what we all crave. And this is the meaning really of heaven. To be with, to fully see, to know God. This is what's so important in our day-to-day lives. To truly know him. Who, even though we're in the middle of a story and we can't see what tomorrow will bring, we can see by faith the story of God and his promises to us and what will be our eventual story. And this, this knowledge, this sustains us. It gives us hope, much more than, than some pillar of fire, some audiovisual experience will ever do. This is the very heart of our Christian belief that Jesus came into the world to reveal God to us, to show us through his life, through his ministry, what God is like, to reveal through the gospel God's salvation. This is the, at the heart of our faith. And this is why John begins his gospel in the way that he does, saying, no one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side, he, that is Jesus, has made God known. Christianity, it's not about moralism. It's not a therapeutic method for coping It's not a general recognition that there is a God out there somewhere. No, our faith is a proclamation of Jesus, who is the only one, the only one who came to show us God. And man's greatest problem, our greatest need, is to know God. But because of sin, we are or we were alienated from God. And Jesus wants you to know God. He wants you to know God by looking at himself. And there are uncanny, there's an uncanny resemblance. Just like between some parents and their children. I have a picture here, I think, is that Clint Eastwold? Some famous actor, I I believe. Um, We should assume... We see these resemblances in family. And we should assume a resemblance, a resemblance of character between Jesus and the Father. Have you ever been told that you, that you look like your mom or your dad? Or, or even better, um, that even the way you, you walk, your, your posture, your movements, your mannerisms, your facial expressions... They look like so-and-so. Something new for me that, that I just noticed in the last month or so, it's really interesting. When my, my dogs or my grandchildren do something funny or cute, I chuckle. I, and, and it's caught me off guard sometimes. 
because it's my grandpa Cameron's chuckle. And, and I remember as a little boy thinking, that's a funny chuckle. He just, it really distinct. And, and it's like, I'm starting, when did that happen? How did, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, you know, have I been doing, how long have I been doing this? I don't think it's been long. Where did it come from? Well, it's my grandpa. It's my grandpa Cameron. And of course people, they see my, my parents and me, Jen will say, you're walking like your dad. You know, <laughs> so sometimes you'll see me trying to stand up a little straighter, get those shoulders back. Think of Jesus in this way. Think of Jesus in this way. Not, not physically, but what we see, what we perceive of him, what we love so much about him. The same is true of the father. And so much more so because Because God is one. He is of the same essence, the same being, yet distinct in personhood. It's funny, we can pick up on on a person's character, even even in their writings. Lately, I've been recommending this book like crazy, this Thaddeus Williams book, uh, Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth. Get a copy out of Angel. And uh, people will... You know, I'm going on about it, and they're like, well, what do you like about it? What, why are you recommending? What, what do you like so much about it? And what I typically say is, I love his voice. And then they'll say, oh, oh, you're listening to the audiobook. No, 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 no. What I mean is, when I read his book, I begin to pick up on his personality and his character. And this author, Thaddeus, his voice in his writing, it's humble. And it's funny. And he's sharp. And he's really honest. And I love that. And it comes through in his writing. And we should hear the voice of God in his word. Jesus possesses the the family traits. The mannerisms of God. And when we read his word, we, we hear, we see, we perceive God. Listen for the heart, the mind, the character of Jesus, and this will help you to better know God, to see God. Richard Phillips wrote something really interesting. He said, God is always and only Christ-like. Isn't that interesting? God is always and only Christ-like. So that the more we know of Christ, the more we know of God. This revelation of God is the impetus to our faith. For to comprehend God in Christ is to trust and adore him. And Jesus doesn't simply represent the Father because he's, he's really familiar with him. No, Jesus talks about a mutual indwelling. It's really mysterious when we read this. But a mutual indwelling. About he being in the Father And the Father in him. What does that mean? Mystery of the Trinity. His very being. And the Father's being. Are one. Jesus said. How can you say show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father. And the Father is in me? So not only does Jesus show us what the Father is like. But he shows us the Father, since the Father is in him. 
And here's a part of the mystery of the Trinity because the Father and the Son, they are distinct persons and yet they possess a unity of being. Jesus reveals God because Jesus is God. Jesus reveals the Father because the Father is in him. They are in perfect unity in all of their works because they are one being. Jesus didn't come as some divine ambassador bringing a message from God. If this were true, he would never have said in seeing him, we see the Father. No, instead of a divine messenger, we need to think of the Father. Think of the Father in some sense coming to us in the Son. Think of the Father in some sense, because he is in Jesus, coming to us in the Son. He's making himself known, coming so that we might know him. The one who cannot be seen, so that we might be reconciled to him. Through faith in Jesus. When it, when it comes to knowing God, one author described Jesus as being like the Rosetta Stone. I thought this was an interesting illustration. Prior to its discovery in 1799, if you don't know about the Rosetta Stone, nobody understood, nobody was able to decipher Egyptian hieroglyphics prior to that discovery of this Rosetta Stone. But because the Rosetta Stone, it's inscribed with a, with a single declaration in three different languages, one of them Egyptian hieroglyphic, can't remember what the second one is, but the third is ancient Greek. And they knew ancient Greek, and so they're able to understand, oh, oh, we can now understand. We can now, the mystery is finally revealed. They could understand, they could decipher, they could learn what was formerly unknown. Similarly, Jesus deciphers God the Father to us. God would have remained, he's revealed himself in the Old Testament, but he still would have remained mysterious to some degree, not nearly as clear without the coming of Jesus. This is why Jesus came. So any idea that we have of God Think of this, any idea that we have of God, if it does not match with the Bible's description of Jesus, it's false. Because the Father is in the Son, the Son is in the Father, they are one. If one, one thing is going to be true of the other. If you wonder if God is compassionate, see how Jesus touched the leper with the, this leper who pled for mercy and how he healed him with tenderness and love. If you wonder about God's ability to handle your problems, think of Jesus standing up in the boat with his voice calming the waves and the wind. If you wonder about God's forgiveness, if you wonder if he holds a grudge against his enemies, think of Jesus on the cross crying out for the sake of mercy for his own executioners. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. What is God's attitude toward children? We know how Jesus was with them. What does God grieve over death? Look at Jesus who knows what's going to happen and yet he's weeping over his friend Lazarus' death. God, does God desire the salvation of people? Well, see Jesus calling out, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden 
and I will give you rest. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. But isn't there still isn't there still a part of you that thinks, yeah, but wow. Wow, wouldn't it have been great to see some awesome display? That pillar of fire, that experience that we could that we could see, that we can hear, that we can feel the heat and the the sound waves. We like a great experience. And this is what Philip says, what he thinks will be enough. Lord, show us the Father, it will be enough. Jesus, give us an audio-visual experience and that will do. That will do. I can face the challenges of life as long as I have a great experience. And again, we think of the Israelites and it wasn't enough for them. I've had actual miracles in my life, mountaintop experience. It wasn't enough for me. Come back down in the valley, everyday life, struggle with the same things, frustrated with myself, thinking it should be enough. It's not. We need to remember, think of God's message to Elijah. Elijah, weary, fearful with his dealings with King Ahab and Jezebel. He needed a reassurance of God's presence. And so God put him on the mountaintop and he gave him what he wanted, a powerful display of wind and earthquake and fire. Wow. And what was the conclusion? The Lord was not in the wind. He was not in the earthquake. He was not in the fire. Where did Elijah see God? He was in the low whisper, the quiet, not so showy revelation of his word. So if God seems distant, where do we turn to see him and gain a sense of strength and hope? Do we run down to Reading, look for some Bethel experience? Do we expect a miracle, a healing, another prophetic word, a burning in the bosom? No. The answer is the quiet whisper, the not-so-showy revelation. It's in the voice of Jesus in God's Word. If we want to see God, then we need to open our Bibles. We need to set aside a time and a place that will be quiet and still where we can see. Where we can perceive the voice of God. If we want the fire of God to burn in us, think of the discouraged and depressed disciples on the road to Emmaus and their encounter with Jesus. And what was their conclusion? They said, did not our hearts burn within us when he opened to us the scriptures? The spiritual highs, the mountaintop experiences, they're not enough. They won't carry you through because if Jesus thought they were, don't you think he would have given a a show and experience to Philip? But he didn't. He didn't because it's not enough. It's not what he needed. It's not enough for you either. No, it's it's a right kind of seeing, a right knowing, perceiving, believing in God through comprehending 
the Jesus of the Bible. This is more than enough. It's more than enough. And this isn't to say that our faith is merely an intellectual, rational exercise. No, Jesus went on later in later chapters of John to describe the helper who would come. The Holy Spirit that the Father would send in the name of Jesus in order to teach us, to enable us to rightly know, to rightly discern the truth of God's words. Without the Holy Spirit, the Word of God has no power in our lives. Ours is a biblical faith. The Holy Spirit gives us power to live according to the Word of God. We need God's voice in the Scriptures And by seeing it, by reading and studying the Bible, we see Jesus. We see Jesus who enables us to see God. And to some, it just might sound dry. Ah, we always want something more. It may sound not so exciting to some. Because people still want that experience. People still envy the saints of old or the contemporaries of Jesus. But listen to Peter. Peter, who was, think of it, Peter was actually on the Mount of Transfiguration. Wow. Seeing the glory of Christ. Having this full audiovisual experience of Christ's glory where he heard the actual voice of God say, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Peter experienced that. And yet, he got, even though he got this full sensory, amazing experience, he writes in 2 Peter that we, you, have something more. The prophetic word, God's word, Peter says, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. This is more, Peter says. God's word is enough for us. Pay attention to it. And in doing so, God will be present. He will be real. We will see and understand Jesus in the Bible. Pay attention to Christ's words and his teachings. Look for the, when you're reading the Old Testament, something that's become, I think in the last 10 or 20 years, I mean, it's been around a long time, but it's become more popular in the last 10 or so years, is seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. You know, even wonderful uh, children's Bible storybooks now, our curriculum, where it, it shows, you know, how does this Old Testament story really describe Jesus? Look for those types and shadows and um, of Jesus, these hints, the greater hero, the ways in which the saints of old failed, and how they're fulfilled by Jesus. Remember, the law says do, and the gospel says done. And so any moral conclusion to a story, the hope that we have in it is that Jesus has done it for us. It's requ- what's required of us, what we fail to do, is done by Jesus. And, and, and this obedience, this righteousness, is counted as ours by faith in him. And now because of that, because of 
this change in us, being born again, being made right with God. Now we're made able to follow. Now we're made able to obey his command. Philip thinks an experience will be enough for us. And Jesus says, I'm enough. My word and my works are more than enough to give you what you crave. To open your eyes to see and to know God. So look to Jesus. Look for Jesus in his word. And in the struggles of your life, remember that often when you think everything has gone wrong, it's just that you're in the middle of a story. In her own pursuit to see Jesus, Venetha went on to write, Despite my fears, very gradually over several years, both my daughters came to a deep faith. The daughter who wanted nothing to do with my God pursued a relationship with him again. She started going to Bible study. Her demeanor softened. She talked about Jesus. Somewhere in the middle of all the pain, God became real to her again. He wooed her back. Those desperate years when he was silent, he was not absent. He had been there all along. We are all works in progress. And we are all in the middle of our stories. We don't know how things will turn out. We do know, however, that nothing is impossible with God. He gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. But at the same time, our stories may not look the way we planned. Nothing may look like it's tied up with a bow. We may not see our kids return to Christ, our marriages restored, or our diseases cured. But we can trust that God is in the story. He is the author, orchestrating the tiniest details for our final good. We may not understand why things happen, but we can be certain that God has a glorious purpose to the pain we are enduring. I'm still in the middle of my story, and so are you. While none of us knows the joys and trials we have yet to encounter, we do know that Jesus will be with us through them all. And we can be confident that one day, after the last chapter is written, our story will be tied up with a bow in the most glorious way possible. Let's pray. Jesus, you are enough. You are enough, Lord, to show us the Father. You are enough to satisfy the, the just punishment that we deserve. You are enough to reconcile our broken relationship with our loving Father, to give us hope and joy in the middle of our stories when we can't see, when we don't know what tomorrow will bring. You are there. Your voice, your word, your peace, your reassuring hope, and the confidence that we can have in you, is, it's always there. And you are more than enough for all that we need. Lord, help us to cherish your word, to read and study, to listen and hear and believe, to see. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who opens our eyes, helping us to rightly see and discern what is true.
so that we might know and love you, God. May our lives be filled with your truth. And may this spill over and pour out of us so that we might be your witnesses, helping others to truly see, to truly know and love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.